0: From NJ.com, this is Talk is Cheap, a New York Giants podcast. We're talking big blue football all year round. Hey, Giants fans. Welcome forward to episode 111 of the Talk is Cheap podcast. This is James Cratch with Dan Duggan. As always, Joe Giglio is not with us today. He had another thing to take care of. So uh, let's jump right into it, Dan. Uh, unexpected sort of the podcast, I, I think, this week. we uh, I didn't think coming in. That we'd be discussing another Giants victory, uh, especially an overtime victory over a Kansas City Chiefs team that, you know, a couple weeks ago we all thought might have a chance to go to the Super Bowl. I don't think that much anymore now, but huh. hey, 12-9 win, Aldrick Rosas, late field goal at the end of overtime, a impressive win for the Giants, I think, but it's a it's a conflicting win. So I guess, Dan, you know, what, what, what were your big takeaways from this Giants' big win, the happiest 2-8 and eight locker room in, in NFL history? Uh yeah, well I predicted a
1: forty-two to ten Chiefs win. So I almost nailed the Giants score, so I can half credit for that. But no, I I was stunned. Uh it's you know, it's very similar to that Broncos game a few weeks ago when everything <clears throat> suggested they were about to get blown out. And of course they somehow dug deep and you and, know and really they played great on defense. I mean the offense, listen, I'm not gonna really discredit the offense that much. They don't have any weapons. I mean when you have uh you know Sterling Shepard going down with the migraines the day before the game. Uh, you're really left with very little to uh, to utilize on offense, and, and clearly McAdoo you know, realized that and, and went pretty deep into the bag of tricks, and that didn't work out so well in that, that Shane Vereen halfback pass, but uh, I almost feel like the offense is, is very difficult to grade right now. Maybe you can give the offensive line some credit. They've, they've really uh, been a kind of a quiet positive in the last, you know, five or six weeks or so, and Chad Willard stepped in, and that was a daunting assignment to go against Justin Houston, and, and he stepped up. But I think the story of the game is definitely the defense, um, you know, and, it, and it's definitely kind of there's two sides of that coin. While it's great to see them play like that, you know, especially against a good offense, it only makes you say what the hell happened when you gave up 31 points to the 49ers and, and 51 to the Rams. I mean, uh, clearly this unit has a lot of talented players. I know it's been a little beat up, but it's been nothing like the offense. They can't really use that injury excuse that a few guys have floated out there. I mean, for the most part, you know, their big guys have played. And, and when they haven't played, it's because they've probably been suspended or they've been loafing out there. So, again, I, I think that it's kind of a, you know, it can go cut both ways. It was great to see the effort yesterday. It only makes the the lack of effort in the previous games kind of stand out more. But, hey. We're gonna keep it positive uh, off of yesterday's game because again, that was a you know it was an inspiring effort. The defense, uh, you know, was awesome. Guys like Landon Collins, he looked like the defensive player of the year. Landon Collins from uh, from twenty sixteen. Janoris Jenkins certainly answered the bell. You know, after justifiably getting you know crushed all week for you know the way he mailed the in against the 49ers. Uh, and even guys like Olivier Vernon was playing through a shoulder injury. Snacks had a pick, and he was clearly uh, hobbled. Um, so. Uh, some positive vibes, some much-needed positive vibes uh, you know, for this team because things had really uh, been trending in a negative direction.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think my score prediction, I, I forget what it was, was off the top of my head, but it, it was less than yours. But I wrote the Giants had no chance to win the game on Sunday. So I think all of us are kind of eating a lot of crow. Uh, one thing I will say about the offense, I know they only scored 12 points, 9 points in regulation. Uh, they could have scored, I think, think maybe 20-ish, which is pretty good for this Giants team at this point. Because I, I thought the halfback pass to Shane Vereen was a little questionable. Maybe if they just kind of keep you know running a normal offense, they get in the end zone. And then Evan Ingram, you know, offensive pass interference, which seemed like a really kind of shaky call at the time. If they get down there deep, it might score there. So I thought the offense, the, the nine points of regulation, the 12 overall, uh, a little bit deceiving. Uh, still, this is not a great Giants offense, and I-, I was counting the stats up last night after the game. You know, I don't think it's going to happen, but there's still a chance that they could finish with the fewest points scored of any Giants team in, in a 16-game regular season. I think they've got 75 to go to tie, 76 to surpass, six games left. I mean, that kind of averages out to about you know, 12, 13 points a game. That's what they've had, you know, recently. So uh, it it could be tight there, but I agree with you. I think you really can't fault them too much. Uh, They're lacking weapons, but the defense. I mean, where were these guys for the first ten weeks? Yeah, no, that's that's the question, and
1: I think you know we we're not going to sit here and spend all day analyzing, you know, a uh, a win for a two and eight team again, however inspiring it was, and. You know, rewarded the fans who who did come out because clearly uh, it was a tough sell, like to get them to come out. I think the question is, where do they go from here? I mean, obviously, again, you know, they're probably going to still say, hey, eight and eight, we can get in the playoffs. So we're not we're not going to go down that road. But there is, you know, this feeling that did they turn the corner in the sense that they finally had these, you know, these heart to heart talks. Uh, you know, Mackey, who had the tough meeting on Wednesday, and there was a report that Eli, of all people, gave a fiery speech and. Uh, pregame speech and and DJ Fluker said Evan Engram gave a real passionate speech on Saturday. I mean, that's all great. It's also, you know, about six weeks too late, but at the same time, uh, you know, we've been saying the last couple weeks, there's still so much time left in the season Uh, and, you know, to kind of paraphrase or steal a McAdoo comment that, you know, the script can still be changed. Uh, Again, the season is not going to turn into a success, but if they scrap together and, you know, win some of these NFC East games, we've kind of been dreading as far as these could get really ugly at home. Uh, you know, it, it will you know say something. It'll certainly say a lot for McAdoo uh, that if he's still able to get through to his team when you know all indications were that he had lost it. Um, so I mean, that's the question. It's not so much like this Chiefs win is going to propel them onto greater things, but was it a sign that you know, maybe enough is enough and they are going to you know turn it on and, and finish you know
0: respectably uh, as we go down the stretch here? Yeah, but I mean, I wrote this this morning on NJ.com. It seemed like they decided enough was enough when they beat the Broncos. And then they, they lost a game to the Seahawks. That was a competitive game. You know, The Seahawks kind of you know just were too much at the end. But then they come off the bye with the Rams game, the 49ers game. So I think this this short week when they're going down to Washington on Thanksgiving night, uh, it's going to be a major test for them. Just because I think, look, it, everyone they had their come-to-Jesus moments. You know, Everybody met. Everybody said all the things that they claimed they needed to say. I don't know why it took them so long. I, I feel like you could have had this discussion after the Rams game. Or you could have had this discussion at the bye week. You could have had this discussion when you were 0-3 or 0-4 or 0-5. And it just seems like – I don't know how you feel, but – it seems like Ben McAdoo, it's almost like the last couple of weeks, he, he's been starting to act like more of a head coach on the fly. You know, his, his press conferences, I, I think he still says things, you know, like got to look at the tape and, you know, heavy handed. But I, I've noticed, I think he's kind of dialed down the, the, the kind of coach speak because I think he realizes that the people just don't want to hear that from a guy who was a two and eight football team. And, and as you said, people think the team has quit on him. And I think that maybe the kind of the, interpersonal relationships are improving a little bit. And, you know, Jonathan Casillas, you know, calls the defensive players only meeting after they have the, the brutally honest film watching meeting. And look, I don't know if maybe he got through them. Maybe this is just a one-off like the Broncos game was, but I think that you're right. I don't know where this team really goes forward, but they've, they've started something that they can maybe build on. I don't know if they're going to win a lot of games, but they can at least represent themselves well down the stretch.
1: Yeah. And it goes back to, you know, kind of the the point of Hammer is just like, you know, you got to have some personal pride. This whole no- notion of guys quitting on McAdoo again, it's not week 16, 17. We can say, Hey, listen, we're going golf and we're going to mail in week 17. There's so much season left. that If you're a professional athlete, you're getting paid, you know, exorbitant amount of money to perform. You have to perform, and again, they have talented guys on this team, especially on the defense now, with you know all the injuries in offense. Um, so there was no excuse to just mail it in. So I mean, uh, it certainly was a little bit encouraging. I thought Casillas, who was you know honest to a fault. Put it pretty well when someone asked, I think, if, if, you know, they were playing to save McAdoo's job. And he basically, and I don't, you know, you could take this a few different ways. I don't think he meant that as kind of a slight to McAdoo. But he said, "Listen, my motivation isn't to save McAdoo's job. My motivation is to save my job. <laughs> like, you know, I'm going to be a free agent. I'm, you know, 30, 31 years old, whoever he is. I want to have a job next year. So, yeah, if, if, if me playing well and us playing well helps McAdoo, that's fine. But the, the it has to be self-motivated. Uh, and that, I think that's what you saw. I mean, again, a guy like Genoa Jenkins. It, the contrast from the way he played yesterday and the way he played the 49ers was startling. I mean, it was a totally different player. Now, granted, that is the player we've seen for the majority of his time with the Giants, so uh, as time goes on, maybe that 49ers game just kind of gets brushed aside as uh, you know, a one-off aberration, but you can't sit there and say he played as hard in the 49ers game as he did yesterday. I mean, it's clearly uh, was not the case. So um, yeah, I mean, again, I don't think this is the springboard, like you mentioned, the the Broncos game was supposed to be a springboard, and then they you know went out and lost three games by uh, you know large margins uh, you know coming out of that. So I think the biggest question is, you know where does this team finish up? Because I think you know everyone has basically assumed the axe is coming from McAdoo. Uh, and the question really becomes, how many wins does save his job, or how much does the team need to show that saves his job? Because again, they're two and eight right now. If they get to six and ten. I kind of feel like, in some ways, that might be the worst thing for this franchise because that might be what this ownership sees that says, "Okay, you know, hey, they showed some fight. Yeah, we can run this back." And I think a lot of us look at it, the the faults in this you know organization right now, aren't going to be fixed. I don't think with the current leadership in place. But you know, I go back to a comment before I was on the beat where I think it was John Maris said he was ready to fire Tom Coughlin. You know, late in the 2014 season, he turned things around late. They still went 6-10, and ten, but he brought him back because he turned things around late. Well, then you just kick the can down the road one year because clearly that wasn't the right decision because they still went 6-10 and ten the next year. So um, to, to buy in too much into what happens in the last couple of weeks in a season that's already over, I think is a mistake, but it's one this ownership group has already shown they'll make because they're loyal to a fault. So I think that's going to be the most interesting
0: to see. How many wins do we start saying McInerney might be safe? Well, what I find interesting too is like I personally – I've always felt, you know, uh, and fans ask us all the time, like, you know, how many wins does they need to save his job or this? Like, I hate using wins as kind of a metric because I think it's just very hollow. I mean, Dan, you're from Boston. I always say this to people. If you had told the Boston Red Sox in spring training 2003, you're going to get to game seven of the ALCS and lose an extra innings to the Yankees. And then you're going to fire Grady Little. They would have said you're insane. But obviously, the, the way this—I know this is kind of an extreme example—the way the situation played out, you know, that's the move they had to make. So I think I don't feel comfortable saying here and saying, you know, what if the Giants finish four and twelve, McAdoo is guaranteed a job because I don't think that's necessarily the case. I think there's a chance that McAdoo could go three and thirteen. But if they, you know, if they play all three of those NFC East games at home tight and they beat the Redskins at home and the start of the season, and they beat them on Thursday, I mean, maybe they say, okay, we're going to give them another you well, know, best two out of three. Because I, I do agree with you. I think they're looking for a path to keep Ben McAdoo and keep Jerry Reese. The question is, are they going to find that path? And I go back to another thing John Mara said after he, he fired Tom Coughlin in 2015. He said, oh, you know, 2016, I guess. He basically said, you know, as an organization, you know, we've lost a little bit of credibility. Now, if you go 2-14 and 14 or 3-13 and 13 and you're not competitive and they bring everybody back, I don't know how John Mara is going to stand up there and sell it and, and this team is going to have any credibility. Now, look, maybe, maybe they'll just keep everyone and not have an end-of-year press conference because that's what he did last year. Uh, but I don't think he can do it at this point. I think the fact that he's already spoken a couple times indicates he's not going to do it that way. But I, I agree with you. I think six and ten is the worst thing can happen. And while it, it, my thing with this is that I can understand you saying wins and losses and on-field product impacting the coach, but who? I mean, Jerry Reese—he he has nothing to do with the Giants winning a bunch of meaningless games down the stretch. So, in my opinion, if you want to say, okay, well, if McAdoo, you know, he gets a, you know, if he goes, so what? He's 1-0 now in the final seven. Let's say he goes 4-3 and three and they finish 5-11. and 11. Uh, you can, I, have, I can understand the Giants saying, you know what, that's proved to us that we, we should keep him for a third year. I might not necessarily agree with it when it's all said and done, but I can understand the logic. But Jerry Reese, I mean, the guys playing hard down the stretch has nothing to do with him. I feel like Jerry Reese, you've got to make the decision independent of how many wins and losses they have. And that's going to be the biggest decision I think the Giants make. Because I think if the Giants were to move on from Reese but keep McAdoo, they probably can sell it to the fan base, even if they don't win a lot of games. But if they were to move on from McAdoo and keep Reese again, I don't think that's going to go over well. See, I'm going to say,
1: I, uh, the more I think about this, and as time kind of goes on, I keep, keep having this nagging feeling that Reese is going to survive no matter what. I mean, he's, he's certainly shown to you know be like a cat. that he, you know, he has nine lives. He survived. Coughlin getting pushed out the door. Um, and the way I just look at it, and, and if I'm if I'm Jerry Reese or you know, Jerry's agent or whoever's going to have these conversations at the end of the season, and I'm sure maybe they've already started because, again, he's in the front office, so he's dealing with the ownership probably more on a day-to-day basis than uh, McAdoo anyways. McAdoo's probably a little bit separate. Um, but for Reese, I can point to certain things and say, listen, this was a Super Bowl-caliber team before the season. John, you agreed with that. The media agreed with that. I mean, you know, the players, the coaches, everyone agreed with that. So when the thing goes off the rails, if I'm Jerry, I can say, well, listen, I put a Super Bowl caliber roster on the field opening day training camp. Again, everything that goes haywire from there, I think he could very easily say, well, that's not my job. Like you just said, he has nothing to do with wins and losses. Once the roster is assembled, now, granted, we all agree there was holes in the offensive line. He can even point to the fact that the offensive line has made improvements and and Eric Flowers might be which is kind of the biggest irony he was the guy who was probably going to lose Jerry his job he could be turn out to be the guy who saved Jerry's job if if Eric Flowers continues to play you know the way he's played now i know you people can parse, say he's, hasn't been that good hasn't this run blocking hasn't been that great or you know pff's pressure stats are skewed whatever he's not what he was for pretty much all of last season and the first few games this season he has definitely made strides he's been serviceable eli isn't running for his life every play granted Again, they have made another adjustment as far as Eli getting the ball out. But that I kind of digress. All I'm saying is if he can point to Eric Flowers improving, he can point to I had a very good roster in place. Everyone agreed that. And then the thing was off the rails. That's Ben McAdoo's fault. Now, I don't know how deep that divide is. But, I mean, listen, if you're, if you're next on the line, it's a lot easier to kind of point the finger at the next guy. And the other thing I'll say, a lot of the, the players who have kind of emerged here have all been on the roster all along. So I think that's another thing Jerry can say. Listen, Orleans Darkwell, hey, he was on the roster. I didn't make Matt stick with Paul Perkins and make him the starter in May. DJ Fluker, I went out and signed him. I didn't force him to start, you know, John Jerry at right guard. Uh, Chad Wheeler, I didn't force him to stick with Bobby Hart, who was terrible. Uh, I I brought this undrafted free agent in. Clearly, the kid has some talent. On and on. I feel like he can make those points. Now, again, I'm kind of playing devil's advocate. I I would have no problem with them moving on from Jerry Reese because of some of his, you know, misses in the draft that have really kind of gutted the depth of this team. But I think there's a much stronger case to keep Jerry Reese for a lot of the reasons I just said. And then again, he can also point to Evan Engram, you know, borderline pro bowler, Dalvin Tomlinson stepped right in, been a stud. Uh, you know, Wayne Gallman looks like a productive player. Avery Moss looks like a productive player. So again, I, I don't want to be sounding like I'm making the case that they should keep Jerry, but if Jerry you makes this case, it is a little tougher to argue, whereas McAdoo, if they finish 4-12, it's like, listen, you were handed a Super Bowl contending team and went belly up and the players rebelled. That's kind of all falls on McAdoo, in my opinion. So I think that's going to be fascinating to see how that plays out. And, of course, you can't ignore the fact that Jerry Reese has two Super Bowl, NBA, Super Bowl trophies. Now, you can say, oh, it was Ernie Corsi's roster. It was a long time ago. I agree with all of that, you know, potentially. It doesn't matter. It's still on his resume. Ben McAdoo doesn't have anywhere near uh, the type of resume. It hasn't built up near the type of goodwill, uh, you know, with this ownership group.
0: Yeah, so I have a theory about um, what you do if you're an owner or an athletic director when you have a coach and a general manager. Um, I've always looked at it this way: if 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 I'm John Mara, I wake up every morning and I say to myself, "Can I envision, you know, in my head, you know, close my eyes and envision standing on the podium after the Super Bowl with McAdoo on one side, with Reese on the other." And Roger Goodell handing me the Lombardi Trophy. And we just won our fifth Super Bowl. And I think that when when an owner or an AD, if you get to college, when they get to that point where they can't envision winning it all, because that's the goal of, of, of high-level athletics. And when they get to that point where they can't envision doing it with their coach or with their GM, I think it's time to move on. Because that's the, that's the only goal that you guys are really working for. And the thing with Jerry is... I would assume that John Mara, even when he has his doubts and things are going poorly, he's been there twice with Jerry Reese. Mm -hmm. So, of course, he can envision that. I think the question for him is, can he envision Ben McAdoo winning a Super Bowl with the Giants? And, you know, maybe he still can. But I I think that that is probably where the doubt is going to set in. And I think that when you get to that point – so I think you're right. I think the worst thing the Giants could do is sort of win a couple games down the stretch – and then say, we still kind of have our qualms and our, our hesitation about how this is going to work long term. But he won a couple games, so let's give him the, a <laughs> third year. I mean, th- that's not going to work because – well, I understand Coughlin was a very different situation. You could run it back next year and be in an even worse spot because when if you run it back next year and you don't succeed, well, now Eli's a year older. You still might not have the draft pick because if they're going to run it back, they're going to try to reinforce this roster and be a, cont- a contend again. You know, you could be kind of be stuck in that no man's land and then you might have to clean house and, you know, you could have cleaned house a year earlier, you know, and you don't know who's, what's going to be there. So it's a really interesting situation the Giants are in. And I've been kind of surprised that, you know, look, we, we you and I, we, we've kind of told the Hard truths about the Giants all year. Uh, You know, the fan base, there's not a lot of optimism on Monday morning about this win. (laughs) I was stunned. I mean, I thought, look, the Chiefs are a good football team. They're probably going to win the AFC West. You know, maybe they'll get their act together and look like a contender again down the stretch. But I thought Giants fans would be kind of excited about this game. And for the most part, it seems like people are just saying, we just slipped in the draft order and our (laughs) offense stinks. And the defense, you know, where have you guys been for 10 weeks? You know, thanks for showing up. I've been kind of surprised about how kind of down Giants fans seem to be on this win. And it seems to me that they are really ready for major changes. And they're really ready to kind of have a top draft pick and maybe go get a quarterback after all the excitement, you know, with the UCLA-USC game the night before. And it's almost like this is just kind of a roadblock for that process.
1: Yeah. And it's it's kind of funny, the the draft, you know, order stuff, because granted, we've been monitoring it because when you're one and eight, it's staring right in the face. But, you know, now they got this win, you probably figure they'll scratch out another win or two. So and the Browns don't show any signs of winning. You know, the 49ers, you know, that might have been their one game where they really rallied against the Giants. So they probably weren't going to end up with a top two pick anyways. Uh, you know, easy to say that now after that win. But so, I mean, does it really matter if you're picking third or picking fifth? I mean, of course, you know, all things being equal, you'd rather have a better pick. But you can't really sit here and and hand ring over – you know, moving a, a spot or two in the draft order unless it's going to be one or even two. So um, I think fans, I mean, there's just too much time left to really, I mean, listen, if it's week 17 and a win moves you a spot and a loss would move you the other way, then I can understand it. But I mean, there's just, there's too much time left to really live and die with the results with the draft order in mind. Cause I mean, listen, now they're two and eight, there's a bunch of teams within striking distance at three and seven. And, you know, the Colts might not win another game. So, I mean, they could end up, you know, passing them. Um, and, and you touched on that game on Saturday night. I will say this, um, there's nothing that that's jumped out in that game that said, listen, if you get one of those two quarterbacks, you have the next, well, Andrew Luck's kind of interesting guy because he looked like he was going to be that guy. And now, you know, who knows where his career is headed, but you know what I mean? The next Aaron Rodgers, the next whoever, a guy who's going to be a franchise quarter for 15 years. I mean, they both look good. I mean, there definitely was a lot of positive. I think Rosen, uh, has a ton of arm talent, like just superior ability as a passer, And I think he'll probably, you know, be a very good pro. Uh, But, you know, there's still question marks about his makeup. And and he had a few bad decisions that game. Uh, And then Darnold, I mean, I think the bigger concern is really that people think he's going to go back to school. And and he looks like a guy who could use it. I mean, I think, again, he'll be a good pro someday. Um, But I think he probably could use another year of seasoning. He's still a little rough around the edges. So, I mean, if the Giants end up with the third pick, they're not going to probably get either one of those guys if they even both come out. So I just don't think, um, you know, it's worth worrying too, too much about that. Uh, and, again, I think that this team – obviously, if you have a top pick, it's hard to pass on a quarterback when you have a you know soon-to-be 37-year-old quarterback. You're going to need to find that replacement at some point. But I just don't feel like they're in such dire straits that they need to force that pick because, again, you only get those so many times. So if it's not going to be a franchise-franchise quarterback – then go get a you know the best player available and you know, let's overuse whether it's an offensive lineman or a you know pass rushing linebacker which this team hasn't had in forever something like that I mean I think could help the team just as much because like you said they're not going to tear it down pretty much no matter what Eli's going to be the starter in 2018 they're going to have talent uh, on both sides of the ball guys like Odell coming back so um, and then Davis Webb's waiting in the wings we still have no idea what they have in him but I don't think they need to force uh, you know a quarterback and again after watching that game on Saturday. There was nothing that was just so obvious that, you know, that Rosen or Darnold would instantly, you know, transform a franchise's fortunes. I mean, I'm sure they're both going to have growing pains whenever they do get to the NFL. Um, So my my overall point is I I don't think the hand-wringing about the the draft order uh, is really that warranted, uh, you know, this early in the season.
0: No, I I think Rosen was obviously the better quarterback on Saturday. I think Darnold has the ability to be really good. I just think he's a guy who needs another year. So... You know, and if, if Rosen might stay in school too, I think that obviously UCLA fired Jim Mora after the game. You know, one of the things that I've kind of heard is that the the UCLA doesn't necessarily run the best offense to kind of fit Rosen's skill set. So I think it'll be intriguing to see if they get a new coach in there. Obviously, a guy who didn't recruit Rosen with with a kind of more of a maybe more of a pro offense. Maybe he'll stay. I mean, and you know. Besides those two guys, I mean, Lamar Jackson has some talent, but that would be a risk. And I think the kid from Wyoming, Josh Allen, you're kind of rolling the dice. Um, You mentioned offensive line. Uh, Obviously, Chad Wheeler played really well uh, in his debut against the Chiefs. Eric Flowers has played well. DJ Fluker, Brett Jones. It seemed like the the Giants' offensive line situation has become incredibly fascinating out of nowhere because they're starting to become more productive on the field. And Now you've got a bunch of guys in the mix. Some guys are going to be free agents. Some guys are, are young, and you're going to have to make a decision about where you're going with them. I I just think that that's a really fascinating situation, and especially with Wheeler, because I think at this point he's got to stay at right tackle for the rest of the year, unless he you know completely bombs you know, going forward because you want to see what this kid can do. I mean, he could be your right tackle next year. He could be your left tackle next year. And I just wonder what that means for Justin Pugh when he's back from injury. And, uh, you know, what does that kind of mean going forward for the Giants?
1: Yeah, that's an interesting point. I really hadn't thought of it. Because, I mean, I think we all expect that Pugh won't be ready for Thursday's game. it be a quick turnaround and the back injury, is something that uh, seems like it's going to be, you know, a multi-week problem for Pugh. So if nothing else, Wheeler should get another start. So, you know, you don't want to – overreact to, you know, one start and, you know, I haven't gone back and watched the all 22 film. I know, you know, pro football focus said that Houston, you know, you know, had some pressures. Again, nothing stood out to me. And when you're watching the game, I'm not going to sit here and lie and say I'm in the press box studying the right tackle. Your Obviously you're watching the ball and you just kind of notice if a guy's getting beat on, that's when they stand out. You have to go back and watch the film to really see, um, you know, if a guy played as well as it appeared live, but uh, nonetheless, I mean, he clearly was a lot better than Bobby Hart and he's a guy who, don't just look at this one game. If you go back to his college career and, and the pre draft process, he was a guy who was considered a mid round prospect. Now granted he had some off the field stuff that, that kinda uh, you know dropped him and, and the Giants were lucky to get him as an undrafted free agent, but uh seems like all that's kinda behind him. He's, he's hasn't been any sort of problem since he's been here. Um, so there's more than just one game to, to go on. I mean, he's a talented, you know, athletes he moves, you know, really well for an offensive lineman. Like you said, he, he might you know, he probably has you could probably flip him to flowers. I mean, it, it seems like that would probably be ideal for next season if if you know Wheeler continues to develop and you know Flowers you know plays like he's been lately that might that might be a tremendous solution if, but that that's getting a little far down the road but I think that's an interesting point I mean yeah why not just stick with him because say Pew comes back in you know two or three weeks just put him back at left guard I mean what do you yeah gonna... have no issue with that yeah, yeah you know yeah, John I mean... Jerry for a couple of games no big deal I mean John Jerry's signed for next year if you want him he's here and if, and if you have to cut ties with John Jerry it's it's not big money and I don't think anyone's going to be sad to see him leave so. Uh, I think that that's a great point. That's the way I would go. And I, again, I hadn't really thought that far through, and you have to basically survive the first game before you even considered it. But yeah, just stick with Wheeler. I mean, again, that that's one of the, the the silver linings, if you want to call it that, of a of a lost season is you get to give young guys more of a shot. Because again, I mean, what, you know, when you just try and hold on with a bunch of veterans that are you know maybe not going to be part of the future. I mean, no, you you got to you know take a look at a young guy and, and let him develop. That's you know again, that's one of the few minor advantages, if you want to call it that, uh, of a season like this. So yeah, I, I think that. Um, you know, Wheeler definitely showed some potential. Um, and and the guy I keep going back to is Brett Jones. I mean, I keep hearing from people that, that Western Richburg is so much better than I, 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 I have to see how or why, I mean, just the guy's been in the lineup now for a while. It's not, you know, you always have to be careful again of small sample sizes. Every time Brett Jones plays, it seems like the offensive line doesn't miss a beat. If not, it gets better. So, I mean, again, I'm not even really demeaning Western Richburg think he's a fine player, but, you know, projecting what the salary range will be for those two guys, I don't see how you could justify spending more money on Western Richburg when Brett Jones will probably be a, you know, a bargain bin guy. And he's played just as well again, if not better. So um, it's really interesting. This offensive line is coming together. And it's three guys who, you know, who weren't even in the lineup to start the season. When you talk about Jones, Fluker, and Wheeler. And then even Jerry has moved from right guard to left guard. So it's basically four different guys in different spots than when you started the season. And, and all we heard about offseason was continuity. Well, it's funny. Uh, maybe just playing better players um, uh, is what leads to better results.
0: Yeah. No, it's uh, definitely something where you got to kind of sit and wonder. I mean, not so much Jones, but Fluker. I mean, you know, what took it so long for him to get in the lineup? And uh, but he's here now. And look, the Giants are going to try to make something out of it. Not going to make much out of it. I mean, you don't really come back from two and eight. And if they were in the AFC, I guess maybe they would have some ridiculous, insane hope. <laughs> but the NFC is so strong that I don't see how an eight and eight team is going to win a wild card. Now that the Eagles are nine and one. That's all that's on the table for the Giants theory. Um, all right, I guess we'll just wrap it up real quick. Uh, Washington Thanksgiving. This game. When it was announced, I thought it would have a lot of juice. Now, not so much.
1: Yeah, it's really incredible. I'm sure NBC's a little disappointed, too, because, yeah, you put this one on the schedule, it's the first matchup between these two teams, you figure that, you know, they'd both be, uh, you know, right in the thick of the NFC East race. I mean, the Redskins have been uh, disappointing, obviously not to the level of the Giants, but certainly I don't think people expect them to be, you know, sitting at 4-6, and that, you know, brutal loss yesterday to the Saints. Uh, And you don't have the Odell, uh, Josh Norman stuff. I mean, it's just it's just missing a lot of the sizzle um, that you were hoping. So basically now we're just missing Thanksgiving for a meaningless game between two teams going nowhere. So that's a little tougher to swallow. But um, I think, again, for the Giants, short week might be a good thing. So, you know, they kind of just just try and, you know, ride whatever little momentum they built. They don't have to go through a whole week of, uh, you know, talking about this game. Um, But I I wouldn't be surprised if they go out and lose. Because, again, I just – the defense has to play like that to give this team a chance to win. I mean, I think that's obvious. I mean, this offense is just so limited. So, I mean, I don't think this is sustainable to win games 12 to nine going forward. I mean, hey, if it is, then hats off to the defense. But uh, I just, again, I keep going back. I just don't see some sort of magical run to, to you know have somewhat meaningful games in December. I just, I just don't see it. I mean, again, the offense is, is so limited. Um, but maybe you know the the light finally turn off of the defense and they can at least be competitive in those those awful games against the Rams and the 49ers can can be pushed you know further back into the rear view and at least the team can compete you know i think that's what you know everyone's going to be looking for on Thursday night do they at least come out with the same sort of you know effort and uh and enthusiasm
0: yeah and i think definitely because you know you have some banged up guys on the defense it's going to be a short turnaround. You know, we got to see what the injury report looks like. But I think this is kind of a, it's not, not a put up or shut up game, but it's a chance for the Giants to kind of show that they actually maybe have got turned a little bit of a corner. I know like you really can't turn a corner much at two and eight. But I, I think it at least would be a sign that, that maybe, you know, this wasn't just one off because, you know, it, it felt very much like the Denver win uh, on Sunday afternoon. Everything I was saying, you know, you know, you guys buried us and, you know, playing for McAdoo and all that. And, and it didn't really amount to all that much. And I think this is a game, you know, look, national television, Thanksgiving, you know, it's a special day for football. The Redskins are your, your oldest rival. I know that there's not a lot of buzz to this game, but, you know, it's still Giants-Redskins. I think it's a game they got to show up. I don't, they, they don't necessarily have to win it to prove that they're kind of maybe steady their ship a little bit, but they've got to at least show, go down there and give an effort.
1: Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's that's where we're at in the season, which is kind of sad. We're talking about you know a team that again has Super Bowl aspirations, and we're just we're gauging their effort. And again, that should never be a consideration for an NFL team in the first place, if you ask me. Um, but that's where we are. So uh, <laughs> I guess we'll uh, we'll enjoy our uh, our Thanksgiving feast in the uh, the, the press box at, at Washington. Usually one of the worst uh, press meals on the on the schedule. So we have that to look forward to.
0: Yep. Nice train ride down on Thanksgiving morning. Uh, be at the. FedEx field, which is actually back-to-back games. We're going to go like to probably the two worst stadiums in the NFL, FedEx field, and then Oakland Coliseum. So, uh, that, that should be fun. Nice little add to that. But we'll be back. Um, all right. I guess we'll wrap it up here. Kind of a short week. So we'll go with a relatively short podcast. Uh, any parting words Dan, before we uh, sign it off? Nope. Good job. Uh, stepping in, steering the ship, uh, in Joe's absence. Uh, I'm of course, nowhere near as good as Joe, but, uh, Glad to step up for a day. Uh, Joe should be back next time. Uh, I'm not sure when we're going to tape the next podcast. Uh, My guess is we'll probably have something maybe Monday-ish. We'll probably not tape right after the Thanksgiving holiday. But uh, that's it for me, James Cratch, and for Dan Duggan. This was episode 111 of the Talk is Cheap podcast. You can find us on iTunes, uh, Stitcher, uh, all those other things. Wherever you can find a podcast, we're pretty much there. And uh, we'll see you next time.